0: This episode's brought to you by everynowheremusic.com. Yep, you got that right. That's yours truly. So if this is an endeavor you'd like to support, please come and sign up for my newsletter at everynowheremusic.com. Every nowhere or every nowhere, depending on whichever way you prefer to look at it.
1: Finding the help that helps you is a really important part of that process. But I also think it's, we're all at a different point place in our journey to understanding things in our own system and you know the beginning of that journey for me was yoga it gave me a great sense of my physicality but for some people it's Feldenkrais and for some people it's massage and for some people it's somewhere totally different and so we wanted to make a place where if you were starting in the massage area you could start to kind of read and learn about other modalities and and maybe find the spark that could enhance your own journey and understanding
0: welcome to 2024's first episode on our podcast We are running with massive delays at the moment for personal reasons I might be open to talking about in future episodes, but for now, please go check out Hannah's links, they're worth your time. Also, back in the Holistic Musician Academy, pre-enroll is open now for my flagship course, The Complete Independent Artist Roadmap. This is a a once-in-a-lifetime offer that's never going to return, so you might want to check it out. For those of you who are curious on what this roadmap even is, this flagship course, which does involve an investment, you might want to download my free artist mind map, which I talk about later on in this episode as well. All of these links are included on the episode notes. Just a quick reminder, this is a completely independent show. So if you'd like to show us your support, This is how you can do so, follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts or a podcast platform of your choice. Additionally, please share your insights, your honest feedback on what you thought about this episode on your social media stories like Instagram, Facebook, you know the whole deal. This is me and a bunch of really esteemed colleagues putting ourselves out there to add meaning to your artistic journey and your everyday life. So, you want to return the gesture, we will genuinely appreciate it. Without much further ado, please welcome dr hannah murray hello fellow beings welcome to tapasya loading a safe space to attempt honest raw and authentic conversation in homage to the ancient act of stoking a sacred fire welcome officially
1: thank you Nice to be here.
0: It's nice to have you, Hannah. Thank you so much for doing this. Yes, I am in Berlin, by the way, to answer your question from earlier on. Uh, what about you? Are you in LA?
1: I'm in Los Angeles, but I love Berlin so much. I think that city is so just electric in so many ways.
0: Oh, let's dig in. May I ask you why? This That's very interesting. I mean, I, I totally trade places with you right now, considering the weather. But um,
1: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, minor detail, minor detail. Um, well, Many years ago, I used to play in rock bands that toured regularly and kind of hugged in Berlin. Mm. And um, what I loved so much about that city was, like, you can really feel what was east and what was west of that ci- in that city, and. The energy that Divide actually kind of brings to the to the city, even today. Like when, even when you look at the architecture that happened in the Divide, but also some of my favorite people are just wild Germans who happen to live in Berlin. So
0: <laughs> that is very reassuring to hear. <laughs> May I ask you, when was the last time you were here, Anna?
1: I was there in April two thousand nineteen.
0: Two thousand nineteen. I'd be very interested yeah. in your opinion on the city. Uh, now, okay. for one, the pandemic really sobered it down in a good way, in a good way. Mm. Okay. And I feel like that divide between the East and West has uh, has been smoothened out a little, which is something I have mixed feelings about, by the way. Mm. Uh, I, yeah, I don't know if you know about this, but they're, um, you know, the East, um, East German trams or, or uh, streetcars, as you call them in the US, um, mm-hmm. they're saying goodbye to them. They're not going to be running anymore I know right oh really yeah I'm so sad I have no idea I'm not really I'm a little hazy on the details but um
1: yeah, how interesting. I didn't know that at all.
0: Berlin is changing, like, most parts of the world, most metropolitans. You. But it is interesting. And I hope that East-West history, uh, combined history, still kind of retains its um, presence in the city one way or the other. Yeah. Let's talk about you, though. Um, are you, like, an old-school L.A. person? Is that where your roots are?
1: No, I am I am not an old-school L.A. person. Um, I was originally born in Seattle, so mm. up up the... Pacific coast. Mm -hmm. Um, But my family currently lives in the Midwest. And I moved to LA about five years ago. Mm -hmm. And it was never a place, true confessions, that I was like, one day I want to follow my dreams and live in LA, go to Hollywood. I had never, it just was never a city that that spoke to me that way until I moved here. Mm. And now I'm like, oh, it's very hard to imagine living anywhere else once you live in LA.
0: Interesting. That could be the words out of my mouth with regards to Berlin, actually. Really? Yeah, it's interesting. I actually have a family history here. Like, um, I'm, I am say I'm quasi second generation German uh, for complex reasons. Uh, but my um, uncle was like pretty well known here in the 60s. He was one of the first bilingual poets uh, who would be publishing in both German and Bengali, which is my ancestral uh, language. Really? Um, Yeah. And for the longest time, so many musicians would be moving here because it was just the thing you did in Germany. And I was literally the last amidst my milieu to move here. Mm. Just to kind of, you know, make it easier to hang with my friends. Honestly, it was uh, never... uh, I had no dreams I was looking to realize specifically. Uh. It's an interesting feeling. That now that I'm here, I cannot imagine living in any other city in Europe anyway.
1: Really? I And I, I have to say, I love... I mean, I think as an American, we romanticize Europe so much. Yeah. Um, because it's just got such an older culture and heritage than we have here that we really know about. Mm-hmm. And I just love the different identities of the different cities and you know how they feel and how they look and um what kind of excels or comes to the surface or becomes the identity of a city I've always just loved that and um so it's so interesting that it's it's really Berlin now for you yeah Paris or yeah I mean Lisbon or something I don't know I lived
0: in Lisbon too for for a few years I had a base there but it's only um since last year that i kind of said my goodbyes um yeah. lisbon's amazing but i guess it's at the end of the day berlin well generally i feel like cities that kind of ironically we talk about finding our way to our hometown but i think our hometown kind of makes their way to us instead mm-hmm. yeah um i grew up in london in the earliest part of my childhood and even now it's one of the cities where uh, I, I feel like it very much is home in a very different way Where i never have yeah. to ask myself if i belong or who i Or uh, you know what, what, which word comes before, before or after which hyphen or whatever. (laughs) Yeah. But UK is a very, very uh, specific brand of vibe right now, and uh, Mm -hmm. also. there's a lot of paperwork involved with the whole Brexit thing and everything. Wow. Well,
1: yeah, it's complicated. It, it gets from complicated. My <laughs> understanding from far away.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, let's let's focus on you a little. Sorry, I, I tend to ramble a little, so I apologize in advance. No, I love it. Yeah, okay. I love it. <laughs> um, um, let's talk about Berlin. You have some um, some very interesting work out there where you explore uh, East German music.
1: Yeah. So actually, it's so funny you should bring that up. Um, because i love talking about how much i love berlin mm-hmm. um, when i was there in 2019 i was actually there for a uh, performance and it was the first time that i had had a like had a work trip there and then decided to stay longer mm-hmm. but instead of going for work and then leaving and you know whatever and so as i was exploring the city and other parts of germany we we were in potsdam a little bit and mm-hmm. also in leipzig It was a political climate here in the States Mm -hmm. that was emphasizing a conversation about walls, building walls and dividing uh, people with physical structures. Mm -hmm. Um, And I remember walking through part of Berlin and it was like, there's the wall. And it totally hit me in that moment that I was like, you know, so much of my understanding of the musical scene of Germany as a classical musician mm-hmm. comes from the West, West Germany. Mm-hmm. And the schools that came came out, like the Darmstadt school um, and the composers that were really prolific, I don't have any reference for what happened on the other side of the wall. In an area that is actually kind of the birthplace of some of our greatest voices in classical music, you know, like Bach and um, Mendelssohn and the Schumann's And, and I started to go like, wait, they didn't just stop making music like what what happened. Yeah, so, um, what did so when happen- I got I've home, I've
0: asked myself this pretty often too. What happened? Was it the post-World War II and the con- cultural connotations that came with it?
1: Yeah, well, so when I got home, I actually thought I would just like find a book and somebody had written all about this and I would find all of the composers and it would be very easy to re- research. And it's actually, ah. there are a couple names and a couple big players that, like Hans Eisler, for instance, mm-hmm. um, are very easy to learn about. Um, And ironically, because he also lived in Hollywood, he's like extra easy to know about over here.
0: Okay, I did not know that, by the way.
1: Yeah, (laughs) I believe he won an Oscar for a film score.
0: Okay, wow.
1: It was so interesting. I feel
0: very ignorant now.
1: (laughs) I also was very ignorant about this. So it kind of started as like a curiosity piece. And then I realized like, oh, it's hard to find this information. And then there's all of these names that I could find a name, but I couldn't find any repertoire. Or I could find a list of repertoire, but I couldn't find the music. And it's become kind of a treasure hunt for myself. I Sometimes I get really into it and I do a deep dive and I pull up a bunch of music and I find things. And then sometimes I sit back and I go like, I should learn the music I already have. But it's fascinating because there were, as always through time, I think musicians writing music about and in support of what was happening in that part of the country Mm -hmm. and the world. And then there were others who were not totally against it, but they didn't align with the values that they were forced to live under, but had no means of... Of moving. And the music is, gosh, how how do I say it without sounding? I don't want to sound disrespectful when I say this. No, 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 just
0: just say it. I mean.
1: The music is uh, of a very specific time period. indeed. It's not, you can tell when it was written when you hear it. So it's been one of my missions and one of my journeys to if like I may really start dig
0: into that a little. May I ask you? Yeah. You, you, when you say you you can tell it was written in a different era, I'm I, I hear that you, you obviously have a very specific intuitive kind of a radar digging into something, picking up something. How do you hear it?
1: Well, it's like okay. So number one, most of this music I haven't heard other than myself playing it because there's no recordings of it. Right. Right. Um, number two, it it has this like this very kind of avant-garde much of it has this quite avant-garde style that isn't informed by jazz or you know American Mm. folk tunes or other kind of popular got this voice or this sound that is you know quite quite dated to the 60s 70s like that era where you're it it feels like a time capsule in many ways.
0: It's so interesting how you're picking up on that. Basically through black dots on the paper, right? Yeah. It uh, yeah, <laughs> speaks for the power yeah. of music. Um, would you mind if I use that as a bit of a tool to rewind a little into your music roots? Sure. Like how did you start off with music?
1: So I started playing violin um, when I was four or five years old in Seattle. Very traditional Suzuki training Mm. and was pretty standard, typical educational path until I got to my undergraduate degree. So right around like 18 through 22. And at that point I was living in Minneapolis and I made friends with the local band scene. I don't remember how I did that, but somehow I got introduced to that and I started collaborating in a band that was very, in those days, that was called Mm post-rock. I don't know if people still talk about post-rock. So it was very kind of orchestral sounding. The original formation of the band had like French horn and cello and violin and keyboard. Um, And it was very dark and depressing. (coughs) And I loved it. And it was um, the first time I think that I really felt like I matter as a musician, instead of being like, okay, I'm going to do my best to play this concerto perfectly and follow the rules. All of a sudden it was this very liberating, get on stage. I don't have music written for me. I have to be part of the creative process and not just a performing component. Mm. And I totally loved it. I loved it so much. I ended up playing, that band was called A Whisper in the Noise, and that band
0: whispering the noise. Do they still exist?
1: No, but my bandmate is actually a successful film composer now. So he took all of that Amazing. and morphed it elsewhere. But mm-hmm. I say this because we did a reunion show. That's, that's why I was in Germany in 2019, was because the record label asked us to come back together and perform. Nice. So we're not officially together, but we still, we have a group text and, you know, we still <laughs> collaborate in some way. Nice. And yeah, so that, that really dipped my foot in the water or toe in the water for tour life, being on the road, collaborating, listening, not listening to, but really appreciating the aesthetics of different genres that I would have kind of been like, Oh, I don't really get it. Whatever Mm. move on. And gave me a much more like a real appreciation for bands and music that gives you that kind of visceral experience when you see them and when you hear them. And then I got cold feet. I got a little nervous. I did it for a couple of years and I kind of had like an internal, like, who am I as a violin player? I I need to be more serious or I need to whatever. And I went back to school Mm. and I ended up getting a doctorate (laughs) Mm. and I got a job in an orchestra and I taught at a university or several universities. And just, I don't think I let myself admit how much I felt stifled by a very streamlined industry. Mm. Um, And part of coming to LA where people are so much more in tune with what makes them and their musical voice unique or what makes their perspective really interesting or like really playing up the points of themselves that are not the norm Mm -hmm. started to spark in myself like, oh, how can I reconnect to this place that's more in the collaboration lane than in Solely in the performance lane.
0: So much to unpack there. I find your journey, wherein you're balancing so many different worlds, Suzuki method in classical music is a world in itself. Mm-hmm. Personally, uh, the philosophies, the little bit I know about it, tend to resonate with me and there's the classical route of being a violinist and then Mm -hmm. you end up playing with bands where you're kind of improvising. You're writing and Mm -hmm. thinking out your own parts and then some part of you still feels this need for a classical grounding like a regular career. And then you end up back in academia, which I can really connect to, by the way. Uh, I recently Mm -hmm. went back to school too to get a master's degree.
1: Oh, nice.
0: Very research-oriented. Yeah, uh, that's a whole different story. So I can intimately relate to the struggles that might be involved. Involved, Over. Um, uh, once you've had an adult career in between yeah may i ask you if this was a struggle for you did you find yourself struggling to find common thread between these very disparate mindsets? and yeah. how did you best go about it
1: i think i'm uh, still going about it um yeah i, I hear think you. that <laughs> that there's a kind of a tension um whether you're o- awake and aware of it or not between the 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 should of your career and mm. the could <laughs> of your career, yeah. you know, and and I think that it can be a lot of us tend to shut down the idea of even questioning it. Like we get into playing our instrument or doing what we do, and and we see a very clear path. Mm. And that clear path can be really comforting. And the moment you start to find friction with that, or even question, maybe this isn't working for me, or it's leading to a lot of performance anxiety, or whatever it is for you, it forces you in some way to, to evaluate if that's your path, mm-hmm. rather than just the path. Mm-hmm. And I think that can be really scary. And it's been really scary at different points of my life where if I don't do that, what do I do? Is it all or nothing? Am I prepared to totally shut the door on this one component of my career or my life in pursuit of something else? And do I have to do that in order to find what I think is success? And so I constantly am kind of wavering through these thoughts And I'm a, I think at my core, I'm a person who has so many interests and passions and things that I like to be doing that Mm. really a single focus can be very hard for me to find and maintain a sense of joy and inspiration. Mm -hmm. And when I said like, oh, I I want more of that collaborative part, part of me was like, but orchestra music is amazing. Mm. And it was like, oh, I don't want to give that up. I don't want to say totally goodbye to it. I just want to uh, find. I want to find a way that it takes up less of my life, but it's still present.
0: How do you go about that?
1: I quit my job.
0: <laughs> Another thing we have in common, by the way. I gave up. T- I gave up tenure uh, in two thousand ten.
1: Really? When, oh my gosh! I 21. feel like this, this. Um, this podcast should be me asking you about. What was your tenure? What were you teaching? And why did you give that up?
0: Well, this podcast is conversation anyway. So, anytime you feel like uh, shooting questions, please feel free. These aren't interviews, they're conversations. Okay. I, I try and stress on that. Um, I taught at um, a conservatory in a city called Mannheim. Mm-hmm. And, and I was uh, uh, the founding um, faculty for the producing department. So, I founded the producing slash songwriting department. Yeah. And I also taught jazz, piano, and ensemble training for bands.
1: Cool. Very cool.
0: Yeah. So, I'm. Totally on, literally on that bandwagon, man, that was bad. <laughs> <laughs> that was uh, terrible, but uh, yeah. Uh, and uh, then the pandemic happened and it was very clear that our goals were not really aligning the way I hoped for. Um, very different story. Um, ironically, uh, that sent me off back to academia again. So I found myself doing a very research oriented master's degree again. But that was great because that was in London. And, um,
1: and what was the master's degree?
0: That was in composition and songwriting okay. and performance. And I had the honor of studying with a really badass professor who's also a violinist, by the way. I just oh. realized. Yeah. Some yeah. of us are and, uh, really
1: cool. <laughs> oh, yeah, you should
0: check him out. Yeah, he was uh, he also a doctor, John Matthias. But you know what's okay. funny? His doctorate came from. Um, physics. So he has a doctorate in physics, but uh, wow. also teaches uh, music. Um, he's Ooh. the guy who plays on all the Radiohead records. He's Tom ah. York's friend. Yeah.
1: Oh my gosh.
0: Yeah. He, he was badass. So he, I mean, that guy literally changed my, changed my universe. Just one of the most expansive, um, yeah. deepest thinkers I've ever had the chance to work Ooh. with. So shout out. So I lucked out during my master's degree. <clears throat> yeah. He was he kind of teased, really treated me like a PhD candidate, which was not always very simple because he'd forget. It. I was like, John, this is, you know, we're not into a PhD just yet. He's oh, yeah, right. So, but um,
1: <laughs> And I think that speaks to like, uh, I never want to discount the value of education and academia as we understand it now, because there are amazing teachers doing amazing things.
0: Absolutely.
1: And same in orchestra, like orchestra players some of them are just like mind-blowingly incredible
0: oh well, hell yeah uh,
1: but i think we both can say maybe like those weren't my path mm. not that they weren't a great path for the person they were best aligned for
0: yeah do you find uh, do you find part of the biggest issue is this grapple to balance traditional structural approaches and innovation that in yeah. my experience was the most confusing part like a lot of the times the lessons and the sessions would be so awesome the next thing i know i'm getting some report and feedback from some academic which was like what does this even have to do with what we're working on there's yeah. days I feel like that have you had experiences similar to those
1: i i think so um i always sometimes i feel like when well When I was younger, especially, you would find yourself performing in a way that felt like you were fully on stage. Mm -hmm. And then you would get feedback from one of your colleagues or something. And the things that were really sticking out to them were not the things that you were that were resonating for you in the moment. And I think it can be kind of jarring to go, okay, I'm open for what you're telling me, but I also don't want to say goodbye to how that felt for me on stage in pursuit of Mm -hmm. what you're telling me if that makes sense
0: totally especially in the arts and ironically it gets talked about a bit in academia and the music musical academia anyway is this conformity that still Mm -hmm. is present Mm -hmm. especially with more experimental um, approaches to music it's such a paradox and it's just a paradox that's Normalized without solutions, like people mm-hmm. just accept this—the existence of this paradox. Uh, you know, this quantifying of something that can't be quantified. It's, mm-hmm. uh, I guess, it's an age-old struggle. Sorry, I'm rambling again. I'm
1: no, good. I Sorry. love it. It's, well, it's so okay. interesting because I—I think about this all the time. Because now, part of my work is helping musicians get in touch with their anatomy and harnessing kind of the power of their bodies to do what they want to do in a more effective uh-huh. way. And sometimes it's really easy to point to the research always and only the research, the research, the research. But when you only point to that, or when you lead with that, it doesn't set the same tone with how you experience the information. Mm. And so, yeah, anyway, what you were saying just totally reminded me of that because you can go to the most amazing presentation about the human body with all of the facts and all of the most beautiful slides and, he still kind of walked away, being like, "So what? So what?" You know.
0: I'm reminded of that Frank Zappa line. Uh, I don't know if I don't know if you're uh, a Frank Zappa fan, per se, but he said, "Information is not knowledge. Knowledge is not." wisdom wisdom yes and and there's a whole thread which i can't really remember but yeah therein lies the gap i think you know people Mm -hmm. just mm, i i have in my experience found that not just academia teachers i think the 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 mark of a master teacher is Mm -hmm. someone who doesn't just give you information but kind of mentors you into Mm -hmm. figuring out what to do with it Yeah, definitely. I want to dig into your life's work. I've heard you refer to it, which is um, helping musicians develop a better relationship with their, uh, with the physical side, the anatomical side with their music. Mm -hmm. Uh, May I ask you what the beginning of that story was?
1: Yeah. Well, I think I started, I went to a music festival when I was 19 years old that was run by a bunch of opera singers and they had required yoga in the morning. And Mm. I remember being at a place of my life... That was not very holistic. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I don't have to get up and go to yoga. Like, I'd rather just sleep for another hour. You know, I'm like, why are you making me do this? And but I went because I had to and was totally blown away by how great I felt afterwards. Mm-hmm. And so then I, I just started my regular. That was the beginning of my regular yoga practice. And when I got to grad school, life was very stressful. There was a lot to balance and juggle. And it really became a cornerstone of my daily and weekly routines and taking care of myself. And I started studying with a teacher who, she was not an Iyengar teacher, but she was very influenced by alignment principles.
0: I like the sound of that. Could you you tell us a little more about what these principles are?
1: Yeah, so really about Like joint placements and joint alignment for optimal, I don't want to say optimal experience, but like being really attentive to the placement of your body in different positions so that you didn't just Mm. flow into a position and flow right out of it. You would come into an asana and hold it and evaluate from an internal place.
0: Nice. Where
1: are my limbs in space? What is happening? Can Mm -hmm. I ask for more? Awareness? Yes. Deep, deep awareness. And I was so enamored with this. And so then I bought Light on Yoga, by like BKS Iyengar, and mm-hmm. the foreword was written by Yehudi Menuhin, very famous and violin player. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I remember reading that and being like, what is this violin player doing, writing this forward to this famous yoga book? What is happening? And mm-hmm. it felt really serendipitous to me at that time. So I just, I started reading about Iyengar, and I started reading about Menuhin and why Menuhin was looking for a yoga teacher, and it unfolded as my dissertation topic. So I wrote my dissertation about using Iyengar yoga to enhance violin playing, based on the initial research I had done on Iyengar and Menuhin together. Mm. It was the first time I think I had looked at anatomy textbooks. It was the first time I had tried to understand what was happening. From a structural level and an anatomical level, but the joke I kind of make now is that there reached a point where I couldn't tell you the yoga asana to help you with your violin technique. Interesting. Or there yeah. was like, there was still a gap in where yoga could take me with my awareness and my control, That didn't fully make it all the way to the instrument. Mm -hmm. And so it kind of, I started looking at other modalities of where I could fill in the blanks and where I could fill in the gaps and um, landed on Tamani, which is a modality that has been around for, I think, about 15 years now and is based in Norway. Interesting. Yeah. And so, it's it's much more popular in Europe and Scandinavia. I'm one of, huh. I believe, two teachers in the United States right now. And it's so...
0: Wait, one of two teachers in all of the United States?
1: Yeah, who have done wow. all three levels. So there's three levels to the teacher training. I know that there are other Americans at different phases in the training, but I think we're the only two who have finished
0: everything wow i gotta say i am extraordinarily impressed oh
1: thank
0: you when did you do all this I mean, you have a doctorate <laughs> <laughs> you have the street cred of all the background you have with band musicians and everything street cred oh, i yeah. like it <laughs> and then there's also the yoga certification you have and also you wanted to certified practitioners of uh, a modality in an in entire african country and one of the largest ones that when did you even time management is something we should definitely pick your brain on <laughs>
1: Uh, I met the founder of Tamani in 2019, Mm -hmm. summer of 2019. And I went to a class she gave and I was like, what are you talking about?
0: I have a free gift for you, my friend. No strings attached, legit free gift. What if you could have your entire career as an independent musician presented to you on one page? All of the aspects you needed to be aware of, starting from creativity collaboration, stuff. Most musicians are a little less privy to like PR, other aspects of music business, down to self-care and a very lucid display of how all of these elements are interlinked. What if you could have one page which gave you an overview on all of that, I can give you that page and it's up for a completely free download. Please go check the episode notes. You'll find a link there. One page, an entire overview of an independent musician's career. And in case you're wondering why I'm doing this, I want to build an ecosystem of holistic, happy musicians. Musicians and artists who are building their careers in a fulfilling manner on their own terms. So if this is something that resonates with you, go download the Artist Roadmap.
1: And um, I had a private session with her and I felt like I could ask her all these really smart questions And she had an answer for everyone and a very well-thought approach. And I I was like, okay, this is it. I'm going to do it. And so originally the training was three summers in a row for, I think, a week to 10 days in Oslo. And I was like, okay, I'm going to go to Oslo every summer for three weeks. This is going to be for three years. This is going to be great. And then, of course, 2020 happened and COVID. And they... transitioned the training to be predominantly online with some Mm. in-person i think now it's in person at the very end so you don't go three years in a row gotcha but still very helpful so i ended up going to Oslo twice for for studying and i love it i love that city i think i was just the american in me i just love any excuse to go the other side of the atlantic
0: pretty universal though
1: yeah and yeah and it just took my understanding and appreciation of the human body to the next level i just could not i couldn't believe after the things that i learned that this wasn't standard understanding for how we teach people to play instruments that we teach people the violin and the piano and the oboe and the and how to be an opera singer with this Very vague Mm. understanding of anatomy. Absolutely. And to the detriment of many people, there are many people who can't pursue their dreams and passions from physical injury, from not having the resources they need to manage the psychological, like the performance psychology component of it. And when I started doing research for my dissertation, I was all of a sudden presented with all of these research papers and journals about these things that I was like, how is this not part of my teacher's teaching? How is it that I'm at the very end of a degree and I'm just now seeing the data on this?
0: Yeah, that is a very, very, very good question. Yeah. I I remember some very shocking stat about, and I don't want to misquote, but it was, I think if I'm, again, please don't quote me on this. I think it was over 80% of college musicians, college educated musicians carrying an injury Uh as a result of their uh, vocation. Uh It's...
1: Yeah, it's high. It's It's very high. high. And
0: sure, I get the fact that, I mean, athletes deal with professional hazards as well. And actually, we are high performance athletes. I mean, the kind of physical stress uh, musicians are put under are of the same category, except it's the fine motoric parts they'll be dealing with, right? Mm -hmm. But I just don't understand how so many generations of musicians were just... Never given any kind of support to address this. On the contrary, it was romanticized. Like, this mm-hmm. is messing your body up was like the ultimate war scar. <laughs>
1: yeah, <laughs> I survived. Yeah, I, I, right. su- I
0: survived, and especially in, in pop music, uh, in popular mm-hmm. music, no? it was almost like the avatar that was held up as the ultimate symbolism of rock and roll you know he, yeah. there's a there's a there's someone who died because he because his body just couldn't take it anymore like, yeah. there's the there's a real rock rock star <laughs> it's a uh, pretty messed up actually if you think about it yeah fyi um i, um, I want to be very careful not hijacking this conversation but this is very much in alignment to what i do as well yeah. I'm a certified uh, personal trainer and uh, well, technically certified yoga teacher as well. And one of the things I try and work with uh, the musicians I mentor is build a fundamental um, physical approach mm-hmm. that works for their um, profession. And um, I learned the hard way also to give you a bit of a back uh, story. Uh, at 21, I was uh, 110 kilos. That's like a 240 pounds, I think, approximately.
1: Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah.
0: Uh, hypertensive, almost died of a heart disease at 17. Wow. And, and and couldn't climb up a flight of stairs uh, without yeah. gasping for breath. I was also, and trigger alert, I was also a suicidal teenager, so I had severe uh, mental health issues. Mm-hmm. I say this because it's far back in my past to openly talk about
1: it. Yeah, you've made peace in some ways. I've made peace, and at this yeah. point,
0: especially with suicide rates going up the way they have since the pandemic, mm-hmm. I almost feel called to make my little contribution in talking about it openly i'm yeah. 44 now i was 15 then when my uh, when my second attempt happened
1: yeah I'm really sorry So
0: i'd like to That's say cool. that gives hope to some people yeah at 21 i was in my second year in college and all of a sudden i just couldn't play like one fine day my hand just wouldn't move whoa until date i do not have an explanation for this it is the strangest story I and mean, you gotta say you gotta realize when you're at 240 pounds your relationship with your body is a very very slight one you barely are connected to your body really mm-hmm. and um that was the first time i actually was how do i say this that was probably the first time i i, I talk about music like a relationship with the partner like if things is- get too toxic, they will divorce you. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. <laughs> there, there was an ultimatum music gave me and uh, taught me to dig really deep. Anyway, so okay. 10 years down the line, I, uh, long story short, I... Uh, I'm a certified personal trainer. I um, I practice uh, a whole bunch of physical modalities. That's a whole different... Again, this is the point where I need to make sure I'm not hijacking the conversation.
1: No, I love it. I, I, I actually have a question for you. Yes, please. When you were at the place where you couldn't play, do you remember what the first step you took, kind of reframe or whatever you would call it to get you back to a place where you could... Undivorce divorce music.
0: <laughs> like still save the marriage. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I wish I had a simple answer. If I were asked to give you one answer, it was I wrote a song. Mm-hmm. That sounds a lot more vague than it is here's what happened i spent about six months trying to figure out what was going on in the meanwhile i did some of my exams with one hand wow like i played uh, my ensemble examination because the band couldn't wait for me to uh, get well yeah. so uh, my um, professor said just play with one hand yeah uh, and <laughs> that was that interesting experience by the way um <laughs> here's what happened when the first day i went to the orthopedician uh, which is why I have a bone of contention with orthopedicians generally. Sorry, I'm, I'm, e- I'm going to be open about that. Mm, it's okay. Uh, the first thing he did was, uh, I heard my case history. He didn't even touch me. And the next thing I know, I'm walking out of there in a the cast. Oh. And I have no idea what happened, what hit me. There's a lot of protocol involved uh, in a country like Germany where the medical system is, you know, has a socialistic background to it. So doctors mm-hmm. have a very strict protocol. They're kind of forced to fall. I don't know what it is. It's also like, it's been 20 years since that happened. And the psychological shock of it is something that's taken decades Well, to process. So I couldn't. For the longest time, I couldn't find anyone who could help me, like, or even like tell me what was going on. Yeah. Like, why am I in a cast? For Christ's sake. Yeah. Like it can't be, Isn't that something? Do you you know when you break your hand or something? And meanwhile, I couldn't move my hand properly. Yeah. I couldn't raise. I thought I couldn't raise a glass of beer. Wow. Until I finally found a, a doctor who had a more holistic practice. Had training in traditional uh, Chinese medicine and herbal medicine. Okay was a regular doctor, but also had knowledge of, like very deep knowledge of these alternate modalities. And she said, you just, you, this is not an overnight thing. Your entire lifestyle has to change. Right. And it really is as simple and as complex as it is. That was the first step. And the second step was a physiotherapist okay. called Mr. Sashke. So the first day I went, walked into his uh, practice, I couldn't move my neck any further than this or that. Wow. And I didn't even know this. I'd been carrying that like for, for people who listen to this uh, later on um, and don't see the video. I had just about, f- is this 45 degrees?
1: Yeah, I was going like to say almost yeah. 45 degrees. Not Not even quite.
0: So I, I had a little less than 45 degrees of mobility in my neck to both sides. Wow. And I, I didn't even know it. Yeah. I'd just gotten so used to a completely dysfunctional body that I hadn't even realized. Yeah. Funny story, before I got my heart disease at 17, I was an athlete. That, that's that's the that's actually a very common pattern. I was advised back in the day to take bed rest for a year and that killed me. That's where the obesity started.
1: I can't imagine being a teenager on bed rest. It's,
0: it's the worst. Wow! Yeah. Oof. Um, I have no idea what we were talking about before uh, this. Uh, Apologize, me I, neither. I feel, but this is fascinating. <laughs> yeah, is it? May I ask you why it's fascinating? Because I, you know, um,
1: I just I'm, I feel like um, I love hearing people's stories of the search or the quest to fully integrate themselves. I guess I think that uh, sometimes. The, we can kind of separate the mental from the physical and vice versa. Mm-hmm. And I just love hearing the like practical ways people have found deeper experiences and more mindfulness and more awareness and. And the benefits of how they they compound each other when we can work in multiple planes of our existence.
0: Thank you so much for saying that, uh, especially the part where those practical steps are referred to, because it's easier to find... Uh, quote-unquote philosophical uh, information on how to make transformation uh, happen, but the implementation Mm -hmm. is so much more complex and that needs. Mm -hmm. that's where the hand-holding, that's where the tiny steps... So I'm really... Thank you for asking, what was that first step? That's one of the questions I ask my clients too. What's the first step? Yeah,
1: yeah.
0: That first step is the most important. At which point did you realize that this integration of helping musicians just have a better relationship with the body. When did you realize that was a calling for you?
1: Oh, that's a good question. Thank I'm... you, finally.
0: You've been asking all the good questions <laughs> no, thought, till now.
1: <laughs> I've, all of your questions <laughs> oh, have been very
0: good, I'm, just to be clear. I've been a li- I'm, I feel a little relieved now.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see, was it a call? So I remember doing the research for my dissertation and finding all of these resources and this research and... Being like mad, like like pissed off that our system was allowing this all to happen, mm-hmm. and none of it was making it to the performers.
0: Ah, so hear you.
1: Yeah, and I remember calling one of my best friends, who's now my business partner um, in R and she she was an opera singer. Who had got, she had had a horrible accident. I won't tell her story because it's hers. Mm -hmm. She had had a horrible accident and in the recovery process had looked to and found a lot of answers and solutions in alternative modalities and jokes that like, it wasn't until after I had a master's in singing that I learned how to breathe. Mm-hmm. I was like, "What's well, the problem. So we would get on the phone periodically because we didn't live in the same place and just kind of vent our like, did you, I just learned this? Or did you know this? And oh my gosh. And, and we were both kind of incensed by it. And so we decided to start a platform bridging the gap between research and practice, mm-hmm. uh, Corsonore, sound body wellness. And that was the impetus for it was to really start to give musicians the tools they needed to take care of themselves and to find the help they needed because you can go to a physical therapist or a physio or whatever you call it in Germany. Not all of them know what musicians are doing. So true. And finding the help that helps you is a really important part of that process. But I also think it's, we're all at a different place in our journey to understanding things in our own system. And, you know, the beginning of that journey for me was yoga. It gave Mm -hmm. me a great sense of my physicality. But for some people, it's Feldenkrais. And for some people, it's massage. And for some people, it's somewhere totally different. And so, we wanted to make a place where if you were starting in the massage area, you could start to kind of read and learn about other modalities and and maybe find the spark that could enhance your own journey and understanding of yourself. So true. Um and I I tell people all the time, you know, my daily practice, my movement practice, my musical practice looks different every single day. So good. And I used to love being a person who was like I do this type of yoga and I do this type of warm up on my violin and I do this and I think the wiser, maybe not older, but the wiser you get, the more you realize that prescription is not set in stone. <laughs> so good. Yeah,
0: I'm so with you. Yeah, th- in my experience, that is definitely the sign of maturity experience. Mm-hmm. Um, not an age thing per se, but just a really f- experiential m- maturity. Um, are you by any chance familiar with the works of Kenny Werner?
1: No, I'm, I don't think so.
0: Yeah, Fearless Mastery. No, it's all right. No, but then, oh, Effortless
1: Mastery. Yes, yeah. I am. Yeah. Sorry. It took it took me a second with the name. Yes.
0: Um, so he's my teacher, Kenny. He's a, uh, yeah. Um, oh, I feel like
1: you've had the coolest teachers.
0: I've had some really cool teachers, especially with yeah. Kenny. It's, it's been a very special uh, relationship. We've bonded quite a lot. But um, he talks a lot about practicing as well and the misconceptions mm-hmm. around it so a lot of what he just said is just so reminiscent of what he says that if you're practicing the same thing every day mm-hmm. uh, except for a few exercises he recommends but but generally speaking that whole idea there's just so much mythology surrounding it mm-hmm. so please tell us a little about your practice routine please let's yeah. steal some <laughs> ideas here
1: uh-oh <laughs> well wow, today it looked like um, so i have Um, I think my most recent realization about myself is that I have to be very sensitive with my nervous system. Mm -hmm. That even though I wear stress, I I wear stress in a way that people don't realize how stressed I am on a deep level.
0: I feel you. I I can relate. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I, I've had to really, um, it's been humbling, actually, over the last year or so to really wake up to the fact that your nervous system deserves care, just like the rest of your physical body deserves care. So now a typical morning in my life looks more gentle, very deep awareness movements, things that really connect me to kind of cornerstones of how I know I feel good when I exist. Beautiful. Things like full and expansive breathing, a sense of mobility in my joints, um, a sense of stability, but really for me, a, a sense of power that comes from carrying this body around. And then also an experience of down regulation so that I'm not like a very mobile and strong person whose like brain is going like this all day long. And so usually be it's, I would say probably 20 to 40 minutes of move mindful movement however that happens and 10 to 20 minutes of mm. just i call it sitting some people call it meditation
0: i like how you put that yeah
1: i i don't like telling myself i have to meditate because when my brain is just tired or hard to nail down i like to see where it goes and i don't want to tether it back to somewhere you know very structured beautiful sometimes the mo- the wandering is a good thing
0: yeah thank you for addressing that replenishment Mm -hmm. is such an underrated theme for musicians Mm -hmm. because it's very easy to forget how draining a musician's practice can be it's a completely paradoxical process that happens on one hand you get so you can get so high on music but also be physically so i mean so drained at the same time and mm-hmm. that, that yeah can be very confusing for the psyche yeah. you you want to fill us in on on some of the tools you use for uh, replenishing your nervous system for settling it down
1: yeah i think this the sitting is probably the most like day to day that's really what i returned to but also walking has been really nice really replenishing and this summer actually i had the chance to spend like 6 weeks in europe and i remember well, and not for work it was all for pleasure and i just remember the walking like i was like okay it's like i had i had to i had to walk a certain amount of miles yeah. to get to get myself back to zero or something. Yeah, I Where Whereabouts in Europe were you hanging? So I spent two weeks in the UK. Is that true? No, that's that's a lie. I spent about two weeks in England, two weeks in Scotland, and two weeks in Norway.
0: Yeah, the, I do notice what a privilege it actually is to live in an environment where walking is just such an inherent part of your life. Yeah, I spend my winters in Asia and oh, mostly cool. large, bustling metropolitans where that is not an option. Yes, yeah. uh, one because the system doesn't actually have a provision for that, and mm-hmm. secondly, the air quality won't allow you either. Yeah, so it's a, it's something I have really learned to cherish over the years
1: yeah definitely
0: what about somatic approaches with someone uh, with as many qualifications as you and with with the yoga background um, Mm -hmm. are there any tools I ask you because I was um, listening to an IG live of yours uh, on on YouTube where you talk about uh, correct me if I'm wrong it was the first concert you played after the pandemic oh yeah uh, where there were a lot of rehearsing and you heard your colleagues complaining about how stressed you was physically Mm -hmm. you um, felt like you couldn't relate to your colleagues because you had a system. In place
1: <laughs> it was on my righteous high horse about how well set up i was yes
0: <laughs> i can't really relate though it's easy to sound righteous talking about this but i can relate because i've i've been on tour uh, lots mm-hmm. and in my uh, case most of the bands i've been on tour with unfortunately you were a very male dominated mm-hmm. um like any talk of like well-being mm-hmm. Or uh, self-care, especially back in the day, uh, during my most intense touring periods, was kind of off-bounds for a dude to talk about. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so uh, I, th- I think it's okay to to uh, to go the other way for a bit. So you you want to tell us a little about um, the systems you yeah. have in place too?
1: So I think, you know, everybody has what resonates the best for them. But I think in the context of playing my instrument and taking movement right right to that place. Tamani has totally changed my concept of what posture is and how it feels. Mm, and yeah. also what I'm looking for in my physical experience of playing. Mm. And so I have specific practices that I do that now I consider them part of my music practice routine, not my warm-up. Bingo. I've always been a person who like would roll my eyes when people would be like, you have to do this before we play music. And then you have to do this before you do the thing to play the music. And then you're like, your whole day is warming up to do a warm up for a warm up for a warm up. And I, it just never resonated with me.
0: Oh, I can so relate. (laughs) Especially as a piano player, as a pianist, I see that's one of the biggest struggles we deal with as a keyboardist or as a piano player, uh, which is my primary instrument when um, apart from vocals. Mm-hmm. I don't have my instrument with me to just kind of fool around and on the bus or yeah. playing or something. I, I get less than a 16th of the warm-up time a lot of my colleagues get on tour. It- Yes. Um, so it's a very different system I had to work on. Sorry, I
1: keep interrupting no, you. No, I, I think really I love there. it. I think it I feel like we're on the same page about so much. Okay. Um, so was, uh, some of my practice looks like very specific hand exercises to build up mm. strength in my fingers and my palms. And some of my practice is about like <laughs> I say it as I'm about. To, I do it as I'm about to say it. Feeling what where my breath is expansive in my body Mm. and some of it is kind of awakening a deeper sense of proprioception and just knowing kind of a foundation of tools like what where do I find the balance and where do I find the power and then on top of that how can I kind of step on the gas pedal if I need a little bit more of something in this place. Mm-hmm. The other thing I hate about talking about posture is people think, oh, posture, I must sit up tall and still and never move. So true. But good posture is really something that like enhances and it helps what you're doing. So true. And so finding the ways that I can be mobile and move and, and expressive without without sacrificing quality.
0: For that So good. Yeah. You actually inspired me to redo my podcast recording setup today, by the way, that IG live. Yeah. Uh-huh. I had a recording session a couple of days back. And this is a rental, by the way. Oh. This is not not where I usually, usually stay and I noticed I was sitting on a chair and uh, the mic placement the whole thing and it inflamed an old injury uh, a shoulder injury like right afterwards just like the the one and a half hours of sitting down so I was watching your IG live just before you started recording here I was like oh hang on I want to make sure that I don't redo that so um, yeah so I'm sitting on the piano stool this time and uh, adjusted heights yeah Yeah. see Uh, uh, adjusted heights and changed the whole thing pushed my laptop away put it on the fat little novel mm-hmm. um, so uh, the heights Good. a little bit well better. i'm
1: honored that you took my opinions and perspective into account for today
0: and i am indebted i uh, and i want to make sure this doesn't sound like a plug or a or a sales pitch but i recently authored a, a mobility course for musicians on tour for exactly this Oh, amazing and may i ask you uh, if you've done anything similar and something you would Point our listeners to that you highly recommend for musicians on tour. Warming Whoa. up without the instrument, like wh- what are your tips on
1: that? The warm up on tour is a whole special ball yeah, game, right? Um, and I have never made resources specifically for that, mm-hmm. but we at Course Tenor we're running a program that will. It starts in January, but it. it Is really designed to help you start to uncover some of these principles for yourself. So it has some live movement classes, some group classes that really dive into some of the anatomy, private sessions so that you can really hone in on how it feels in your body, mindset tips, and kind of the whole thing. And I'm like, but you know, if you're in a different place every night, the classes would be hard. It's all recorded, so you can always watch it later, but the classes would be hard to to attend live. But it's so hard. I mean, my experience on tour, I love tour. I feel like I was born to go on tour and play in a different place every night. It just lights me Mm -hmm. up. And a lot of my music colleagues are like, seriously? I don't know what it is. I just love it. Um, And I remember when I was... On the first tour I went on, I think, or maybe the second, I forgot. One of the other bands, he was, he had a serious yoga practice and he brought his yoga mat everywhere. And so as all the sound check lines set up, all of the stuff is happening that you don't, it's like you can't be very far away, but you don't have to be on stage for it at that point. He just had his mat off to one side and was doing his own warm up. And I remember being like, why are you doing that? And he was like, oh, I get so stiff, you know, sitting for so long and then getting here. And then you sit backstage and then you get on stage and you're just never. And then all of a sudden you're really physical. And he said it was just like a really good transition mm-hmm. from going from very passive experience to a very active one. And after that, I, I did that a little bit. I wouldn't say that I was as good about it as he was, but... I always try to walk whenever I was on tour. I always tried to walk a little bit, try to do a little bit of mobility backstage, but nothing. Maybe this is like a thing that I need to put a pin in to really think about the resources that would be so helpful.
0: I'd be super interested in your feedback. So what I'm going to do once we're done with recording today is give you access to the course. And if you ever find time.
1: Oh, oh my gosh. Amazing.
0: Yeah. I'd just be super uh, interested in your honest uh, feedback.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I can't wait.
0: It's, it's one of those hybrid programs I've um, come up with. Here's the thing uh, I noticed, and I want to be careful saying this. Yoga, uh, we've had a few conversations about this too uh, with a few guests. Yoga, um, needless to say, is amazing, but mm-hmm. it's not always a complete system, especially for musicians. There there are a few loopholes which need to be addressed additionally, not because there's something wrong with yoga, except it, mm-hmm. what we practice in the West are yogasanas and yoga. There, there is a gap between the philosophy and you know this you, you, yes i'm, I'm definitely. guessing you've done your um, research on this um there are loopholes which tend to get lost in the conversation in the translation excuse me um and uh, i i learned that's something i learned the hard way too um in um, some of the weakest phases of my yoga practice i ended up hurting myself yeah i, I guess i was on the search for a missing link between mm-hmm. stretches and strength training and that's when mobility came in you know
1: mm-hmm. definitely
0: there have been times on tour, I'm, I'm, on a, I'm in a cold country after a bus ride, and I try and do a dine- downward dog. Next thing I know, is uh, this, this is dog can't get up from the floor without <laughs> looking
1: really. It's a napping it's dog. A, it's a napping a, a, a dog.
0: I wish, but more like a really hurt dog. So, uh, and so yeah. Th- so this was the um, uh, the result of that. My jujitsu practice is something which inspired me a lot too. I don't know if you're familiar with. Um, that
1: I've never done it myself. I, I really have never explored martial arts, but I have a friend who does jujitsu and he claims that I would love it. But I'm I
0: would tend to agree with him. Scared. I would tend to agree with him. <laughs> it can be scary uh, depending on uh, if you land at the right dojo or not. It's imperative to find the right teacher. Yeah. And uh, my practice restricts itself mostly to the warm-up drills I learned uh, during jujitsu. Mm. Okay. I don't really grapple as much anymore, um, but the mobility yeah. drills they teach you, which don't actually come from jujitsu per se, they actually have the roots in a lot of ancient mobility practices. Uh, it's interesting. Oh,
1: interesting. It's, including
0: yoga, yeah. even. Um, I mean, they say yoga yeah. is the oldest uh, form of martial art in a way. You know, it, it is kind of the. There, there are um, theories there too.
1: I mean, but I I agree with what you're saying in you know especially how the West practices yoga. There are absolutely ways that need to be filled in. And I I have definitely aggravated, you know, different, different issues. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like I remember when I, you know, when I was in grad school and I was going to a vinyasa yoga class like almost every day. And the kind of the front of my right shoulder Mm. would hurt almost all the time. And I was in a place in my practice where I was really into doing. Handstands.
0: Okay, gotcha.
1: Which I love doing. So was doing, it an Ashtanga tradition all you were of,
0: digging into? Yeah. 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 I was intimately yeah. familiar with that um, story. I have some strong opinions yeah, on it, but I, <laughs> I
1: know. Yeah. Me, t- me yeah. too. But I like. I have to honor that. it's Like a of chapter that I know. Oh, have absolutely. Yeah, totally. Of.
0: Absolutely. I totally <laughs> hear you. Same here. Same here.
1: Yeah, and it, but it also was so aggravating because my posture for violin player playing was like nagging on the same thing because of this rotation with my bow arm. And so there were so many things, so many tools I needed. And I still catch people in yoga classes asking yoga teachers, like, because because they're a yoga teacher, they know everything about the body. Mm -hmm. And you're like, that's just beyond the scope of what you can expect these people to know. You know, it's always part of, I think for you as well, like part of the process of filling in the gaps and how can I do that in ways that make sense for me and the people I'm working with.
0: Totally agree. It is interesting too that music has been actually referred to as one of the oldest forms of yoga, right? And it's oldest philosophy. Is, it... is that something you've dug into? Is that was that part of your research as well? Did you find correlations there?
1: No. Well, I should. I um. I limited my research scope to the physical practice of yoga because otherwise, I think I would have written five thousand pages. I think it would have been a lot.
0: I know what you mean.
1: But I, as an adult, <laughs> I would love to start exploring that more, actually. That's a really good cue to, to dive back into to that study.
0: Yeah, uh, I would tend to agree as well. We're into the last 20 minutes, I think. Shall we try some Q&A? Let's see if there is anything coming yeah. in. Yeah. And maybe um, if you're still up for it, maybe you can go live on Instagram. There. Sure. Let's see now.
1: All of a sudden, I got nervous. I'm just
0: oh, yeah, <laughs> oh, I'm. I'm always <laughs> nervous. So <laughs> let's see now. There we are <laughs> There will be a bit of an echo, just FYI. That takes a little getting used to. And and the latency is so weird. This is this is some space age stuff because I'm on three screens now. We're on the forum. we We're we're here on Zoom and on Facebook and on IG yeah. here. <laughs> okay, here are a few questions that that have come in. Um, your thoughts on finding a mentor?
1: Mm. Oh my goodness, that is so interesting <laughs> and difficult. And I would say. I have a hard time finding one mentor Mm -hmm. for anything. Sometimes I'll find a mentor that really covers a component of my life, like a yoga teacher who I love the way they teach yoga, but I don't want them to be my nutritional coach because I don't want to eat the way they eat, or finding somebody who has great habits in their life, um, but is not in a profession that resonates for me in some way. Mm -hmm. So I always find partial mentors are a little bit easier for me than like a full mentor. And it also removes the potential for dogmatic, like the, the relationship can have some really healthy boundaries. I love that. And yeah, so I think like, this is why I love social media. I find the weirdest, coolest, funnest people on social media, doing things that I'm like, I never thought about that before. Mm -hmm. And I can follow them from a distance for a little while and then kind of slowly work my way into their circle until I have a level of trust with them. That's like, I agree with what they're saying in the context of what I want their mentorship from.
0: That is a fantastic answer on so many levels. Thank you. If I may (laughs) share some thoughts on what you said. One, because you're being fair to the mentor, you're letting them practice what they're best at and help you with that and secondly it also goes to show how social media can be a positive force if, if we use it to build relationships yeah. and kind of build trust instead of just shooting selfies all the time those selfies are okay though um <laughs>
1: Unless you need a selfie mentor and then look for the best selfies. <laughs>
0: I wonder if that exists. I, I, my <laughs> bet is there is a mentor out there who is selling an online course and shooting the best selfies possible. No judgment, <laughs> but my bet would be we for those who are interested, they will find... A mentor does exactly that. Okay. Um, Here's an interesting one I personally like. I'll just shoot it. Musicians and yoga, specifically physical movement, breaking lifestyle stereotypes. Okay, that's many questions. And let me try and summarize. I'm guessing, uh, I'm going to interpret what this question means is, well, musicians and physical movement and Breaking stereotypes about musicians not being, quote-unquote, fit, which has been a thing for a while. Thoughts you'd like to share on that?
1: So many thoughts on that, actually. When I work with musicians in a one-on-one capacity or start talking about the physicality of playing and health and wellness, I find that I get a couple different responses. Some people say, I'm an artist, not an athlete, and I don't want to do that. Mm. And... That's fine and a noble mindset for where they're at. And then I have people who say things like, Oh, do I really need six pack abs to play the cello? No, you don't need that either. So I think that it's hard for people to, I think the st- kind of the first thing people have to do is really get clear about what they mean when they're defining stereotypes or breaking them down. Are you talking about a physical stereotype? or the the fuel behind the artistry what that what that looks like because there are so many strong musicians Mm. who don't you know look strong in a superficial way thank you for Um, mentioning that yeah and and that doesn't mean they're not an athlete and it also doesn't mean they're not an artist so So i think that it's it's a difficult thing for the music world is more that that it's not an either or that there's no right way that health and wellness fits in your body and it's not health and wellness or great artistry that taking care of yourself is actually enhancing what it is that you're doing with your instrument
0: brilliant that is such a great answer again what would be in your opinion the basic non-negotiables a musician should establish for themselves when it comes to physical well-being
1: some sort of movement practice however light that mm. is whether that's walking in the morning or, I don't know, core or CrossFit, something really extreme, whatever it is that really fits Mm -hmm. for you. I know musicians who do all Mm -hmm. of it and also developing your inner voice, the way you talk to yourself. I think that is a place because I think it also comes into physical training quite a bit of like a, I don't move like that or I won't or, or kind of the voice you use when you're when you're in dialogue with yourself.
0: So good.
1: Yeah. And I think it, it plays on multiple levels. It can hinder, hinder your experience and enhance it depending on what that voice is saying and how it's saying it.
0: So you could have totally charged me for that answer. That was that is <laughs> so good. I love how you put that. Developing a voice to use with yourself. Thank you so much, Hannah. Yeah. You're so right. The way that flows into your relationship with the body, the way you move and how that movement ex- affects the way you approach your instrument and how that affects the, the music. Thank you so much for making those connections. Stop. That's absolutely brilliant. I owe you one.
1: <laughs> no, i just kidding. I feel like I'm getting my money's, my money's worth out of this conversation as well. Oh, thank so. you.
0: That means a lot. I really appreciate Speaking. that. Um, this is a question, uh, not very diplomatically put, so I'm just going to read it out. Um, if you're on tour or whatever, and you need to be in rehearsal and you say, hey, folks, I need my sleep or I need to do squeeze in a little workout. And uh, the musician buddies go, oh, what's up with you anyways? Um, how do you deal with communication there? I'm, I'm just going to take the liberty of interpreting it that way.
1: Yeah. I think that is a boundaries conversation. Bingo. Um, and I think in touring worlds, you're up in each other's business pretty much 24 7. Indeed. And it is like very healthy and a great idea to just have like, these are my non negotiables. Nice. Like, I'm happy to spend 23 hours a day with you, but this 24th hour, I need to be able to sleep my extra thing and do my workout.
0: Love it succinct yeah. and totally brings it to the point your thoughts on protecting your hearing mm. long term and i think yeah. that especially string players especially violin players uh, you have a lot to say on this
1: i would say probably the most research done on musicians health is in hearing the impairment and hearing loss um, mm-hmm. so there's a lot of great resources on that subject that exist, and a lot of people doing a lot of great work to help musicians save their hearing. So I would say probably as much as I used to hate it, good pair of earplugs goes a long way.
0: I can confirm.
1: And I used to hate that because I wanted to feel the music and I just felt like I was underwater. But you get used to it. Yeah. And also that for myself, I just notice I have less of a tolerance for being in loud environments for a long time. Mm. So if you're a person who like, you don't want to perform with plugs in the rehearsal space, <clears throat> using them for rehearsals as an interim step so that you're not just exposed all the time. And then you can take them out for the performance or wearing them for, you know, the sound check part and not for the performance. So, like, you, I don't think it's ever an all or nothing thing. And the other part of it is like, sometimes you go to a really loud show and it's, the other bands or the other performers are really loud and you are really loud and everything is just loud for hours oh, yeah. and so even if you don't perform so true with them in having them in while you're listening to the other bands can also be really helpful
0: thank you very valuable stuff there we have just about five minutes uh you good to take one last question hannah
1: yeah bring it
0: um Balancing was... musical approaches between classical and rock bands, they say. Well, I'm guessing yeah. like, well, non-classic. Was it a rock band you played with? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Oh, awesome. Okay. Uh, <laughs> maybe they know you. Uh, they're obviously more familiar with the history than I. I don't am. So, know. Yeah, go for it.
1: Well, my my approach with classical music has always been that it teaches you all of the tools you'll ever need to know to do anything. Interesting. Uh, well, a little bit of. Probably improv training could go a long way in a classical tr- training curriculum, but there's no there's no harm in knowing more than you might use in a band setting. And I think actually classical music and classical training actually helps me hear songs and music in a more... Mm, I, more from a production standpoint, actually. People used to say that about me, like, oh, you should you should record, like, three lines of violins right here, and then they could be doing this. And uh, people would say, like, no, it's just one violin player. And so I think it, because you get very accustomed to hearing orchestral mm. textures. Beautiful. And so I think, for me, that was always a thing that I craved or wanted more of in band music. Mm-hmm. But also, like, Making a good tone. If you're playing a slow ballad or you're playing a song that maybe doesn't test your technical abilities, playing it well still matters. Nobody wants you to get on stage and not play in tune or, you know, play with a bad sound. So I think the principles of classical music can be applied anywhere and used as a tool for just a better musical product, for lack of a better word
0: permission for a curveball in response to that
1: Yeah. yes absolutely
0: any cla- principles from classical music that need to be watched out for and are not necessarily applicable in the band situation
1: yeah i think that um the need to know exactly what you're going to do on stage before you get on stage <laughs> that could go <laughs> yeah.
0: i would tend to agree not that i have rights to comment on classical <laughs> music uh, i'm not really a classically trained musician but yeah it makes sense to me Thank you so much, Dr. Hannah Marais. It's been an absolute honor and absolute pleasure having you on.
1: Same. It's so much fun. I can't wait to go to Berlin again so we can hang out in person.
0: Heck yeah. Please make sure you keep me posted on that. And I, I, the whole idea behind this is also to build a community of sorts. So I try my best to keep in touch with all the uh, people who come onto the show. So uh, please look forward yeah. to listening, uh, hearing from me very often Great. in the future.
1: I'm excited. Yeah, that
0: would be amazing. Um, FYI, for everyone here on Instagram and Facebook too, um, all links to um, Hannah's um, work will be included on the episode note. So please watch out for the release date. The best way to do that is to sign up for the mailing list. That's the only one I really religiously maintain because I tend to be a little sporadic on social media. I'm not that great. And um, thanks. Thanks. Anna, thank you for doing this. My
1: pleasure. And thank you for everything out. This has been better than my wildest dreams.
0: Oh, thank you. Likewise. Thank you for for being so um, open um, in the conversational manner we go about this. I just realized, I'm going to explore the last three minutes we have officially on this. To I just yeah. realized, I told you an incomplete story. Remember how you asked me what the first step was in um, healing my... Arm in a cast. Uh, I told you uh, I wrote a song. Well, uh, yeah. So here's the thing once the doctor told me that, okay, you need a complete change in lifestyle, that was a thing about that was years, right? So uh, the first steps were, of course, the, um, um, you know, the physiotherapy and uh, getting a hang for what was happening. But at some point, I just didn't know when the pain would stop. And um, around two months down the line, I wrote a song which uh, uh, the title of the song is Please. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the next day I could play again. What?
1: That feels like a very important part of that story yes, that you've thank left you left. I, I, I can't
0: believe I left it, <laughs> which is why I did this whole clumsy revisit to that uh, whole thing, because yeah. I realized it's important to mention that. So depending on what belief systems we subscribe to, some people, whichever, I the safest I would bet is if, Even if a a spiritual belief is something that is not in the scope of whoever is listening, uh, think about neuro-linguistic programming, if anything else. Think about what you refer to, that voice you're nurturing, you're growing to talk to yourself. It's a very powerful force that really needs to be addressed. Yes. Yes sounds like a relevant enough note to kind of uh, taper off on. Bye-bye Instagram. I will be seeing you way too soon, I'm afraid. But for now, I'm going to say goodbye. Me too. Gratitude from the bottom of my heart for listening to the very end. Please consider taking a minute to subscribe to our show so you know when the next episode is out. This is a labor of love. One I hope snowballs into one that's sustainable in its attempt to support independent thought and authentic relating. Well, having you as a regular member of our audience is what makes that a realistic prospect. Much love. Talk soon. Just another voice